What is it like having starred in nearly 200 film, TV, and stage roles, including Risky Business with Tom Cruise, Midnight Run, The Matrix, Teddy, and The Sopranos? Buckle on up as you are about to find out from this prolific star. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast and get ready to be inspired, motivated, and achieve massive success. And now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on the Motivation Show today has collaborated with some of Hollywood's most prestigious artists, including Christopher Nolan from Memento, Steven Spielberg, do I really need to tell you who he is? You know, Empire of the Sun and all those other great uh, movies, Richard Donner, The Goonies, The Wachowskis, from Bound in the Matrix, and I can probably go on and on and on, of course. Uh, he's a primetime Emmy Award winner in a drama series, Sopranos. He starred with this 21-year-old kid, Tom Cruise, back in 1983. Welcome to the Motivation Show, Joe Pantoliano. That's when we were motivated, when we were kids. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of kids, tell me, what was it like growing up? And did you always have these acting chops? And did you always want to be this actor? Well, was very, I was always very good at lying my way out of situations. Yeah, I, I got into a lot of trouble and I was always very convincing. And uh, the idea, I, I just hated being poor. We were we were dirt poor and creditors were always banging on our doors and we had to move in the you know in the thick of the night to to get away from people owing money i i recall furniture being repossessed i even recall in my first book who's sorry now it got so bad that my my mom and dad were degenerate gamblers wow. uh, but they had they had like parking meters that were attached to appliances and the only way that you could use the appliances that it was on an hour so you would feed it quarters. And and that was our TV and our refrigerator. And they would come once a month and empty out the boxes because we were just had terrible credit. And uh, and and so I I you could not grow up in Hoboken, especially Monroe Street, where we lived. That was the Italian block. And, you know, Frank Sinatra and Jimmy Roselli had gotten out of that neighborhood through entertainment the entertainment industry and and i think that's for a lot of immigrant families and uh, sometimes i call it the gift of being poor the, the only way out is 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 uh, education is is not um it's alluring but entertainment and sports was was the only option uh, i mean entertainment was the only option i had but a lot of a lot of the kids that i grew up with you know uh, f football and baseball and scholarships that way. Uh, but the idea of, of being in show business uh, was attainable because there were several of our, our my mom's friends that actually had um, appeared on, on her 12-inch black and white television set. And I thought, well, with two reasons. I, I thought the idea of being immortalized inside that TV set, that even when I was dead and gone, that 
that there would be evidence of my existence uh, long after my demise. And that was a fascinating thing to me. That's a pretty powerful thought because most people probably, even though they want to be a star, probably look at the odds and say, that's not realistic. But here you are, you grew up in Hoboken next to uh, Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra, and your mom, you know, knew people who well, actually his, succeeded. His, that's fascinating. Yeah, it was his spirit, you know, because yeah. uh, he was my mom's age and uh, the idea that that somebody got out, the idea that... You know, and also I look at that in 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 ways that if you, if you look at Hollywood in general and show business in general, from the birth of show business, that these uh, these you know middle or, or Eastern European first generation Jews that found a culture in the motion picture industry that was a dirty business. You know, so so the uh, the Protestant uh, haves didn't want to didn't want to dirty their soil their their hands, and by the time they saw that a, a true financial value in the industry, these families held on tight and and loved making movies and loved the idea of it. And and, uh, and so when you look at if you look at old movies like on Turner Classic Movie or uh, American movies, our our first our first movie stars were you know, Jewish, then they were Irish, you know, then came, came the forties, the mid forties. It was, it, 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 it was Italian. And then Ricardo Montebaum and, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Quinn. And even today it continues, it continues. I find it fascinating. The idea of, of the melting pot of, of America and, and how the movies can actually, it's a time, it's a, a time capsule into the cultural uh, urbanization of people coming to America for a better life to leave the, the the life that they had left behind in their home country. I think that's fascinating and uh, and and incredibly telling. So I alluded in the uh, intro for you to this 1983 movie that you were in with a 21 year old Tom Cruise, Risky Business. So how'd you get into that movie? And did you uh, at the, the age of 21 years old watching? Uh, Tom Cruise, did you think he was going to become this blockbuster star that he is today? You know, I I wasn't that much older. I mean, I think I was 29. And it was a little movie that we were doing. And it was, I just, I was always incredibly interested in getting the next job and the next job, you know, a series of events that could keep the electricity on. And I I had a traumatic compulsion of of wanting to pay my bills because of the environment that I grew up in. And so like the general public might think about show business, I never thought that way. I never thought about stardom. I never, you know, there's two types of acting. There's good acting and bad acting. And and in making that movie, I was surrounded by a lot of really good actors. And uh, I think Tom, I think Tom was very ambitious, but I always, I always felt that his ambition was in being really good at his craft. The general public makes stars. You know, it, it doesn't hurt to have a, a role-defining character in the character that Tom Cruise got to play. Hmm. But, uh, you, you know, I can't speak for him. I was too busy building my own career uh, and, and wanting to get the next job and the next job. But personally, 
they were making a lot of those movies back in 83 and 82. And I just thought it was going to be one of the others, you know, just another one. I, I never had, I, I didn't have a clue as to how they would turn out. I was just, you know, finished one job and trying to get the next one. Keep saying yes and turn those lights on, right, Joe? Turn the lights on, you know, <laughs> make a living at it. And anything yeah. over that is gravy. Yeah, I like that, actually. You know, so you did like over 100 like films and uh, stage performances. Uh, are that's there a very old? That's a very old uh, bio. Of, of I think I think it's up to 200. Now. <laughs> OK, let, let's boost it up to 200. Uh, so that's a lot. What are you most proud of among those uh, 200 some odd? roles i'm i think why i'm most proud of the fact that i've i've made a living as an actor for the last 43 years that every year in the past 43 years i've made enough money to provide for my family and and maybe put away a nest egg as far as the jobs you know i i don't remember the the jobs as much as i i remember the experiences and how you know and, and the good experiences and how many I had. I mean, there's very few. I mean, the worst movies in the world that I've been in, and I've been a lot of bad movies. When you when you stop to think, if you wanted to analyze my resume, I probably have eight or nine really good films, classics, right? Nine out of 200. So my batting average is, is horrendous. <laughs> um, but the idea of uh, the, the Goonies, you know, Carrie, Carrie Green, who played Stephanie Goonies? She came to see Rock and Roll Man last week with her family, with with her husband, her mom, and her 18-year-old son. I think it was just finishing his first year of college. When, in fact, when I met Carrie on the Goonies, she was 18 years old. I mean, those those kinds of memories the, to to have uh, relationships and friendships. With, you know, most of the Goonie cast, I mean, you know, Josh and Sean and Corey and, and Key, you know, Key Kwan, after after 40 years, wins an Academy Award when he was out of the business for 20 of those years. I mean, those extraordinary times and, and to, to have memories like that is amazing. Uh, and the other thing I, I'm pleased with, uh, I don't know if proud is the right word, but the fact that most of the filmmakers you know, they they always they bring me back. I, I get to work with them again. But I, I, I build relationships and and uh, that I've been in more than one movie with them. I like that building relationships. You know, that's that's a key to success right there. You know, you mentioned rock and roll, man. So let's get right into that, because that's your current project and you're starring in that. It's at New World Stages. I went to see it twice. I just interviewed your co-star, uh, Constantine Maroulis. And I have to tell you, you know, that show got me on my feet. It got me dancing in the aisles, and you don't see that too often. I've seen over 400 shows, and I'm really kind of blown away at that. What I wanted to ask you is I would think that uh, someone of your stature could probably have his pick of roles these days, and it might not be like it used to be in the old days where you just you know felt like you had to say yes to everything. Why did you take this part? What intrigued you? Well, I always – I mean, when I was a kid, a young man, young uh, – uh, you know, the idea of being in a musical, singing and dancing, was something I always dreamt of, but I didn't have the guts. I was I was chicken, and and so to, to be able to be in a musical and get to sing and dance with these professionals, like the real things. I mean, I'm I I am a I, I, I'm a character voice uh, singer, 
But to be able to do that was a, a dream come true for me. And uh, and Connie Constantine constantly was my go-to guy because the way these the choreographers talk to the dancers, it's all mathematics. You know, it's on six or on five. And, and I like they could just as well have been speaking Japanese to me. So I would I would, you know, Constantine was very good at noticing my fear and confusion. And every time I was looking into those headlights, he would walk over and whisper to me. This is what she's this is what he would translate for me. But it is a great it, it's great fun. And and I've never had so much fun. And, and to see like last night, I noticed the in the wings, uh, all of all of the ha- uh, stagehands, the crew, the, the wardrobe, uh, the, the wig, the wig builders, uh, the, the quick changers, they're dancing, too, with me. It's impossible. I, I, I said I want to make a documentary called It's Hard to Be Depressed When You're Dancing because <laughs> everybody's moving. And now, yeah. and now I've noticed in the last several performances that it's it's like it's the audiences are interacting with us. They're they're talking to us. While while we're performing, they're singing along with us. They're dancing in the aisles, and and when Hoover, the bad guy, comes out, they boo him and and uh, yeah, Edgar Hoover, and, yeah, and, yeah, and they <laughs> and they they you know they'll yell at him, and uh, it's fantastic. It's like it's getting richer and richer and better and better. And the audiences, I guess, the word of mouth has been great. So uh, they're coming, and and like you said, you, people are seeing it more than once. Well, you know, you were uh, honestly you were friggin' hilarious, and that's why I wanted to interview you. You played the two uh, uh, characters, you know, very much different characters, not easy to pull off. You played Leo Mintz and uh, Morris Levy. Tell us about those two characters. Well, Leo Mintz is uh, these are these are real characters in the life of Alan Freed. You know, uh, it's not a documentary, so I mean, Morris has a much more illustrious, dark past. Uh, the, other shows have had characters based on Morris Levy and, and Leo, Leo was a mentor and, and introduced rock and roll and the rhythm and music, uh, what they called then colored music, uh, because it was segregated. So in 1951, when Alan heard this music for the first time, there were colored stations and, and white stations and Alan fell in love with the music, but he continued to hit a brick wall and his station managers not playing the music because it was for colored people, not white people. And so he he had a lot to do with the desegregation of 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 America. It was all, you know, when you think about it, a cross pollination of Jackie Robinson being the first uh, black man to play in Major League Baseball with Martin Luther King. All of this stuff was happening. And then you had the music in um the music was changing and influencing artists. And Alan Freed was the guy that introduced it to the world. Then you had when when Alan became very popular and got a contract to go to Wins in New York City, I guess, in the mid 50s. Uh, Morris stayed behind. I mean, Leo stayed behind. So in the first act, I'm Leo Mintz. And in the second act, I'm Morris Levy, who runs Birdland, the famous uh, jazz music club. At, who had many tentacles in, in control in the music industry and in the uh, venues uh, that, that Alan Freed made famous. Alan Freed's the first guy that 
ever um, bring music to the suburbs, uh, live performances of black and white artists and and insisting that they didn't segregate the white fr from the black, that the, the kids bought their tickets and they sat together. Well, you know, what's interesting about this show is that the show itself is pioneering and it's about a pioneer, you know, because you're doing things that just never have been done before. The story of Alan Freed, uh, who, you know, coined the term rock and roll, has never really been told like this on a on a stage before in New York City. Um, so what do you hope audiences feel and what do you hope that they learn and take away from the show ultimately ultimately well look i just want them to be entertained you know that's why they're going there a lot of people going there uh, because this was their music but young kids are being introduced to it different generations of, of 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 people are being introduced to this this beat that was the initial beat the demonization of this music for me then is is very familiar as to what's happening in america now and uh, and the extreme lengths that they went, J. Edgar Hoover and his personal hypocrisy, but the lengths that he went to destroy Alan Freed. And in fact, they did destroy Alan Freed. One of the most chilling moments for me in the play is at the end of the play, when the uh, when the announcer says that Alan Freed died today and that he was 43, you hear this palpable hush in the audience like, People had no idea. He a was lump in, in my throat, I would call it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Talk about that for, to me because I'm I'm I I, I uh, it's heartbreaking for me, I, I, and it's it's a wonderful to remind audiences. But you know, when we did the opening, Lance Freed, his son was in the audience. Yeah, I was there, and I met Lance, and he's uh, quite a gentleman. Uh, and it, you know, as a somebody sitting in the audience, you know, here we are and we're listening to all these classics and little Richard and the guy who plays little Richard is acing it. And you got Chuck yeah. Berry, Laverne Baker, Buddy Holly, Bo Diddley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and they all just aced it. And then, like you said, at the end, you, you, you the reality hits you that the man who created all this was so ostracized. And then he dies at such a young age and he, and he's alcoholism. Uh, and a lot of that pressure probably came on because he was unfairly, you know, uh, persecuted. Per persecuted exactly. Yeah. So as a person in the audience, you know, again, I had like a lump in my throat, this sadness, and then you lift up the audience again. And at the end of the show, we're all up, we're dancing, we're joyful. And so the emotions really, and that's what makes a great show when you can go the highs and the lows. So that's how I feel. Yeah. And that's you know, the, 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 I don't know a lot of, a lot of Broadway musicals. You know, the other thing is, is this is a Broadway show that's off Broadway. I mean, the production value is extraordinary. And what a lot of people don't know what the difference between Broadway and off-Broadway is, is, is a seat count. You know, this is a 500-seat theater. And if, if it was 540 seats and above, then it's considered Broadway contract. And we're in the heart of Broadway, right down the block from the famous Patsy's Italian Restaurant, which I, which I, I love to go in between shows. Our um, mutual but, friend, Sal. <laughs> 79 yeah, years Sal. and running. Yep. West 56. So, so the, you know, the idea that you're getting, you're, you're being entertained like this, but it's, it's like, it's a musical dramedy. So tell me a little bit about what you would like to see in terms of longevity in your future. What is uh, uh, in the future for Joe? Hopefully I don't die soon. <laughs> That's uh, a good know, start. A lot of, 
Yeah, I got a lot of friends that are, are, are dying. You know, I'm at that age. The, the human body is pretty much designed to last to 74 years. Anything after that is gravy. I'll be 72 in September. You know, so I want to work as long as I can because I love acting. And and that's why happy. you're going to live long because you're in your passion. You love what you do. And studies and research show if you're doing what you love. You know, actually, people who work and do what they love, you know, are past retirement age, live a lot longer than those that retire and really, you know, don't have a lot to do. So I think you're going to be around a long time, Joe. Well, I hope you're right. And and and, uh, and I hope people my age are around long enough to see Rock and Roll Man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that makes you feel young, too. Well, I got to tell you, you know, like I said, I saw it twice. I've seen over 400 shows. I'm going to go back and see it again because uh, the producer that we both love, Rose Kyola, has uh, told me that uh, the show keeps getting better. So I saw it in previews. So now I got to see you guys with, you know, a little bit of performances under your belt. I got to get back. Oh, yeah. There and, yeah. And now that you've opened, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially because it's it, it's evolving. I, like last night was like they're yelling at they're yelling at Hoover. They're they're, they're, they're booing him. They're hissing him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as and, they and, should. <laughs> and uh, and when I, I you know, Leo, uh, Leo Mintz has a couple of really bad jokes that I tell. And, and, and so when I tell the joke, they're not very friendly about it anymore. They like, Oh my God, like, Oh, that's terrible. Just like Alan Freed does on stage. It's, it's great. It's been, it's been amazing uh, for me. And I've, I've, I, you know, I've never had so much fun in my life. Well, it shows, you know, it's interesting what you said, because uh, this is a show that belongs in a, in an 1,800-seat theater, so it doesn't make a difference whether it's 500, 1,800. The show quality is there. The performances are amazing. I mean, it's a very large cast, which I don't expect to see, you know, in something classified as off-Broadway. Uh, but the benefit is that you get to pay an off-Broadway price for a Broadway-quality yeah. production, right, Joe? That, that's exactly the truth. And and these these stars, these, these performers, you know, Eric B., who plays what seven different roles uh and aces bo diddley roderick covington uh uh who plays little richard delicia who who plays uh um what's her name the uh laverne baker laverne yeah yes. you know uh, you know a show-stopping performance at, uh, uh, at laverne baker um you know everybody knows uh Constantine, uh, uh, you know, and people know me, but what I like to tell the actors is that they may be, they may be coming to see us, but they're leaving thinking about you guys. That's well said. So in closing, Joe, what are the secrets you feel to your success and what would you advise other actors or just other people in general who want to just be successful in life and in business? Uh, what would you advise them? Well, I would take my own advice, and that is, uh, you know, they they would have had a lot better chance in success if they had started in the early '70s, like I did, because it, it, there's so much talent. When I when I started out, there was still this unwritten rule that you weren't allowed to have those dreams, and uh, and the blissful ignorance of youth is a great motivator because you just don't think you can fail at anything. I was incredibly lucky. You know, talent is one thing, but 
every, there's so many talented people. Everybody's talent, you know, so don't know how they survive, you know, but I, being a performer is a disease. It's an addiction. And, uh, and if you have, but a good one, if you have the addiction, but, but you know, I don't know how good it is. It's, it's an addiction. It's a, something yeah. you got to do. Yeah. Even when you want to stop, you can't stop. So, so the idea is don't take the cure, um, jump in with both hands, Ooh, be so good, be so good that they can't not notice you, Ooh. you know, uh, you know, and, um, and then make yourself available to be incredibly lucky a thousand times a day because luck is the key. <laughs> luck is really the key. I've been very lucky. Thank God. Well, you put yourself in a position to be lucky. And uh, as the um, guy uh, who uh, actually helped Jackie Robinson break into baseball branch, Ricky said, luck is a residue of design. And you've shown us that you got to be willing to get into the game. Uh, even if you're a little bit naive about your chances, just get into that game and let the luck roll for you. Would that be sort of the gist of what you're saying? Eli, I could never say that better. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the show today. I have to let my listeners know that I've seen, again, over 400 performances. I've seen Rock and Roll Man twice. I'm going back because I want to see Joe, you know, in his uh, uh, opening performances. I saw him in the previews, but I can't get enough of this show. And to get me up dancing in the aisles, that takes a lot. So thank you, Joe, for, first of all, you're doing eight performances in a week, and you took the time to come on my show, and I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much, Eli. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. God bless you. and. Let's rock and roll, man. All right, pal. If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, email themotivationshow at gmail.com. That's themotivationshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.